Happy Wednesday, and welcome back to another exciting episode of the Rocketeer Minute, where each and every day, Monday through Friday, we go over one minute of the greatest adventure movie Walt Disney's ever made, the 1991 Joe Johnston-directed feature, The Rocketeer. I'm one of your hosts, Jim O'Kane of TVDads.com. And I'm Hal Bryan, an airplane nerd from the Experimental Aircraft Association here in Oshkosh, Wisconsin. So, Jim, here we are on Wednesday, it's the 26th, and... Yep. Uh, you're right in the middle of uh, <laughs> a lot of heavy doings. So yes. in, in yes, real time, it's I, quite a thing. I, I am. Uh, you know, thank goodness we pre-record these, but uh, but this one not by much. You know, at the time we're recording this, the event is warming up. We've got several, th- well, maybe not several thousand. We've got uh, probably at least a good thousand plus airplanes on the field, and B fifty two came in the other day. It, it must look like the night before Normandy. I just, <laughs> it does. I you could say the night before Christmas because it's got that sort of sense to it too. Aww. But uh, a little bit of everything. There, the uh, the logistics behind it are just amazing you know cruising around I'm, I'm all over the grounds and you know then i spot the person whose job it is to repaint the yellow on the curbs and some of the parking areas and i think okay multiply that by another five thousand people which is the number of volunteers we have out there and and every little detail to put on this giant giant event it's just it's just mind-boggling. By the way, the, the giant event, in case you haven't listened sure. to our previous 68 Sorry, episodes. Sorry, inside is, baseball. <laughs> yeah, no, it's okay. It's, it is, of course, the Experimental Aircrafts, uh, uh, Experimental Aircraft Association's annual shindig, uh, the Oshkosh Air Venture, which uh, is just one of the most amazing things on the planet. It, it's tied for uh, San, San Diego's Comic-Con this week as the yes. coolest place to be. <laughs> and I, I think it's a slightly cooler place. It's just a... A lot of stuff going on up there. Uh, who, who's coming this year as, as we're talking in 2017? Oh, gosh, we've got all kinds of things. The uh, uh, We have the first ever performance. It's sort of hard to believe for being the biggest uh, biggest aviation event in the world. It's the first time we'll ever have a performance by the Blue Angels. Wow. And, and one of the reasons this is a first is that the jet teams like the Blue Angels and Thunderbirds need a big block of airspace uh, and specifically clear ground space to fly their shows. And the way our airport here in Oshkosh is laid out, we don't really have that. So when they perform, what we have to do is we have to go and work with businesses and residents on the east side of our airport. We basically throw them a big party, negotiate with them as best we can in exchange for them evacuating. You know, Oshkosh Truck, this major defense manufacturer, has to shut down for a couple of hours. And uh, so we we send buses over there and we set up a nice VIP tent and give them great air show viewing in exchange for them letting us have the air show. Because if there was one person in one building over there, then uh, then we, we... we can't do that portion of the air show. So that's a big deal for us. Uh, other stuff, we've got uh, bombers. I mentioned the B-52 is here. We're going to have a formation flyby uh, in a couple of days of a B-1, a B-2, and a B-52 together. And that's going to be followed and trailed by two B-29s. The first time we've had two B-29s flying together uh, anywhere in decades. I, I'm not even sure how many, you know, thousands of home belts, uh, great vintage stuff, cool warbirds, the only flying Douglas A-20. I could go on and on, but I think I just did. Yeah, any uh, any estimate of how many uh, iPhones and Androids are going to be pointed <laughs> at the sky this week? I, I, I can't imagine. Just... And that one I've I've never quite figured out. I think at any on any given day, you know, we'll have uh, 125, people at any one time on the grounds, and you know, works out about 500,000, 550 total. And you pretty much figure that just about all of them have at least one device. <laughs> so. <laughs> All the cell carriers come in and put up temporary towers all around the field, and you know they they, they make this huge influx in capacity, and it's it's still never enough. Holy smokes! Wow, it's just the, well, the circus has come. Yes, it has. Ah, but we and, are 
it's it's and and this has been going on for decades now. I mean, not in not just in Oshkosh, but in several locations. Right. Yeah, we started in Oshkosh in 1970, so it's just been our permanent home for quite a while. But the very first fly-in we ever had, uh, 30 airplanes showed up, and maybe not even quite that many. Uh, it was down in uh, Milwaukee in 1953, and it's just grown and grown and grown ever since. Wow, just uh, every people who love aviation, people love flying in the air, and uh, that's that's what the movie we're talking about is of a, a guy who really likes to fly. Yes. <laughs> Another wonderful segue, Jim. He, he, I, I'm standing and applauding right now. You know, you can't see me, but yes, well he's. Uh, you know, but unlike unlike you, you could. Well, I guess there are some people who don't tell their significant others that they're, <laughs> yes. they really want to fly. That's right. And we do. We're, you know, we're back with. Uh, in in this case, we're in minute sixty eight. Where uh, Jenny is underneath the big fish with Cliff dressed in a waiter's outfit, and uh, and Clifford is about to make an awesome uh, uh, revelation. To right. Jenny, except Jenny doesn't know what the heck he's talking about. This is. Uh, gosh, you just can't help but. <laughs> You, f- you feel for both of them. You're like, oh, <laughs> yeah, I know. It's just, well, that's such a thing in any, you know, I know we've had the discussion, uh, you know, is the Rocketeer a, a superhero? You know, he certainly doesn't have superpowers, but I very much mentally put him in the sort of the Batman, Iron Man, you know. Yeah, a normal guy with an of, extraordinary thing. Yes. Yeah. Very much put him in that category and that, uh, and that reveal is, you know, is a big deal. And when you're, for any superhero, uh, you and I talked just a, uh, briefly offline about uh, the 89 Batman with Michael Keaton. I always love that spot where he's trying to he's trying to get to it. You know, he's got this crazy eccentric billionaire lifestyle. He's he's talking to Kim Basinger and he says, "You you know how normal people they and he's really having to think about this. They get up in the morning, they uh, they walk downstairs, they go to a a job, and he's like, this is such a foreign concept to him. But he's trying to work this around and relate it to how different he is and and tell her the truth that he's." uh, you know that he's Batman, and and he blows the one horrible. As she as she goes away, he keeps sitting there going, "I'm Batman, I'm Batman." I'm Batman. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And we've all been there, you know, yeah, rehearsing or post rehearsing, post rehearsing is that a word? Yeah. The things we wished we would have just said, you know, why didn't I just say it? Why didn't I just tell her? Yeah, I'm Batman. Yeah. And so he, here, Cliff just lays it out there. I'm the Rocketeer, and then just bam, the, you know, the Rocket Who, <laughs> the Rocket Who. We should almost insert that clip right here, but. Yeah, I don't want to add to your editing plate. Well, let me <laughs> let me see. If if it's gonna happen, it's gonna happen right now. Jenny, prepare yourself for a shock. I'm the Rocketeer. The Rocket who? Oh, for crying out loud! Haven't you read the papers? No, I've been working all day. Wait, look. Uh, anyway, that, <laughs> yeah, that's pretty much how he sounded. Um, but she's she's just so adorable. She's just so darn. They're both adorable. They're just you know. Aw. Yeah, they really uh, are. And, crazy, uh, and Billy, crazy. I know you're listening. You're still adorable. Yeah. In a uh, in a very uh, appropriate and man friendly sort of way. The uh, you know other thing I really like about their little exchange right there is, and this is a little bit more of that '30s dialogue that we like so much. An ex- just an expression like. You know, I'd, I'd go out of my mind. I swear I would when he says if something ever happened to her. That's the worst thing in the world. Yeah, exactly. Things going and, out of his mind. But it would have had, you know, it would have, a phrase like that wouldn't have been so watered down as it is as it is today. It's just, you know, it's like, oh my gosh, I, I couldn't find a parking spot at the grocery store. I went out of my mind. Well, no, yeah. you know, he really didn't. But, but it's got this sweetness to it. Like I'd go out of my mind and then I swear I would. And you know, he hits that swear. Uh, yeah, he promises this is how bad things would be for him. Yes, exactly. It's, and uh, that look on her face, and, and we've seen this between the two of them, this back and forth so many times where one of them can say something to the other and just it just interrupts their flow. 
and and she's just completely off kilter by this and just immediately just oh and it is it's so sweet it's so powerful and, and it's so the the thing about it is is that they're both drawing on this is as we've as we've talked with billy in the past this was kind of the beginning of where the relationship started uh you know an off off-screen relationship right. and it just has that certain sweetness to it that i think you know it it was a little bit heartfelt in this in this scene and uh it's it's there's another the, the, a similar way that you can see this is if you watch um lauren bacall and humphrey bogart and to have and have not there was a deep uh, there was a deep relationship growing there if you watch uh, the movie time after time uh, oh, malcolm sure. mcdowell falls for amy steenbergen and they actually both fall for each other um one of one of the most touching things i've ever heard is the uh, feature commentary on time after time if you ever get a chance uh, when you're watching that movie watch listen to the commentary part and uh, Malcolm McDowell talks about this was after, of course, they, uh, uh, Amy Steenburgen and uh, and Malcolm McDowell later uh, divorced. But he said that they show this to the kids, to their own, to their children. He said, "Look, this is when mommy and daddy first fell in love with each other." And it's, you know, just kind of a, a certain sweetness, and that you can actually have this time on film and say, "Yeah, that was a good time in my life." An interesting moment here in both both of their lives. Absolutely. And. Uh, you know, I keep the the thing I keep coming back to with this particular scene is I know Clifford's secret identity is the Rocketeer, but it has to be one of the worst kept secret <laughs> identities ever. I was, right. I was trying to figure out how many people know he's the Rocketeer. Everybody except everybody except Patsy at the at the Bulldog knows. <laughs> yeah, who he she is. probably so that's, doesn't. That's doesn't Goose know. Skeets, uh, yeah. Millie knows. Uh, uh, Peavy, of course, made him the Rocketeer. <laughs> right. Uh, Bigelow's dead now, and we can't can't count him. Uh, we uh, presume that Malcolm Malcolm knows. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, right. certainly Malcolm had the close up encounter with him, but. Uh, yeah. Um, and uh, all, you know, and and then all Eddie Valentine and all his boys know right. it's him. Yeah. The uh, you know the one thing he uh, he had uh, could have had going for him briefly was that of course everybody thought that Cliff Secord was was the one flying Miss Mabel and the mysterious flying man came and rescued him. That's true. That's what the people in the stands thought. But then of course it's instantly it's in the papers. You know, no, no, the guy in the clown suit yeah, was Malcolm uh, Willis. It was, was this yeah beloved uh, beloved local drunk sort of the uh, the <laughs> yeah, uh, Otis the, the Otis. Exactly. I was just going to say Mayberry had Otis and uh, Chaplin Field has Malcolm. Not everybody needs to know, but the, the people, and uh, of course Howard Hughes knows. Right, well, yes. he will eventually know, not at this point, but he will know. Yeah, that's true. He'll know soon he enough. And the FBI. Has yeah, the FBI knows that there's something involved. Uh, yeah. You know, so the, it's the just... bad guys know. And yet, in spite of all of this, his girlfriend doesn't even doesn't even know that there's a secret to be kept. Yeah, well, <laughs> like, you know. The Rock of Who? <laughs> She's... She's in, a, she's in a Robin Hood movie. It doesn't matter. Yes, exactly. She's got no time for this nonsense. Right. You know. She's just uh, ch- chatting away. And he, of course, the, she is his lowest lane, and he wants yes. to protect her. So he's telling her to yeah. get in a cab and go out to uh, to Redlands. What she was talking about, He his, uh, her parents uh, own orange groves, and he was a well, one-time crop duster. Uh, Redlands, of course, if you're a Californian, Redlands is to Orange is what uh, Detroit is to cars, or um, oh gosh, I can't even think of some of the town, you know, or what you know, Cape Canaveral is to rockets. It, <laughs> it, it's that's what everybody does in Redlands. It's kind of the home of the California Naval Orange. Sunkist has a gigantic uh, presence there. It's a little nowadays. I think most people in LA think of it as the place that you stop to get gas on your way to Palm Springs. But it's just such a it's an incredible town. It's got um, it, it has an aviation background too, doesn't it? 
Yeah, it it does. There was uh, like one of the earliest uh, at the time they would have called it an air meet. So something like an air show, kind of a com- combined air show and flying, just like I'm up to right now. One of the earliest ones in the country happened there in 1911. Wow. And then there was uh, there's an aircraft manufacturer, the Redlands Aircraft Company. Uh, as far as I, I don't know of any of those uh, airplanes that, that would survive to this day, but I haven't dug deep into that, so that's something that I will do. But that uh, that company started in 1916, so that's wow. uh, that's pretty early on. If I remember correctly, there was a... That, if it was 1911, it would have been the Wright, uh, the Wright Brothers exhibition teams. They had... The, uh, the, the problem that or- Orville and Wilbur had when they were trying to sell the right flyers was they were one of the few people who knew how to fly them. Right. And so what they had was they kind of had their first flying school where they trained a bunch of pilots slash salesmen to go out and show off the uh, the right aircraft uh, at different at different expos. I don't know if it was Redlands or somewhere in California. That was actually where the first... Uh, uh, employee fatality was of the of the right uh, company that uh, and I can't think of his name now. I wrote an article about him several years ago, but he was the the first employee. Uh, there was a um, there there was a, a military fellow that that died during an exhibition. Yeah, Meyer. that was that was Tom Selfridge. Uh, right out at was that he was the first person to first die first person it. to die. He was the military one, but that's right. There was a there was an employee that uh, uh, as he said right about that time. That and that very well could have been at, at Redlands. That's why you mentioned the flying school and that they were getting going, and the, and the Wrights were really struggling about this time. You know, they really went public in a big way in 1908, you know, by 1911 when this Redlands meet would have happened. They were doing these public exhibitions, but they were still always struggling with guarding their technology and protecting their patents and things like that and, and you know, being fairly litigious about the whole thing. So it was always always kind of a challenge. It's like, yes, we have to get it out there, but we have to be cautious. We need to train more pilots, but we can't give away our secrets. And one thing, as a side note, with the a background I have at Microsoft and simulation software, is the Wrights actually built, as part of the flying schools you mentioned, they built a thing called the Balancer, which was, in effect, the very first flight simulator. It was hmm. a piece of the center structure, and you could you could have a mock-up of one of the airplanes. You could sort of lay down on it and try to keep it balanced, and that would start getting you used to the coordination you needed to fly. One of many, many, many contributions they made. While you were discussing all of this, I looked up what my article was uh, back in the. It was it was on the way out there. It wasn't it wasn't all the way to Redlands, but in uh, Denver there was a. Uh, what happened was uh, the Wright brothers trying to in trying to uh, sell things. They were in a bit of a logistics pickle. So to build more aircraft, they need to sell aircraft, which would they need so they could have capital to construct new planes. You know, right. startup company. Unlike the bicycle buying customers in Ohio, their new uh, aircraft customers had never seen a demonstration of the product. Their rights were trying to market so. Orville and Wilbur were the only people on the planet who really knew how to f- pilot it, and uh, it was difficult for them. So what the what their solution was is to establish a flying school where novice pilots could learn the rudiments of operating uh, right biplanes, and you know take those things on the skills on the road or in, you know to the air. And so in uh, March of 1910, uh, Wright set up an aviation camp along the banks of the Alabama River in uh, in Montgomery, Alabama. Mm-hmm. And his first order of business was for the school to train 10 newly hired employees who would act as a flying exhibition team. And they went all across the country. Two of the uh, uh, the employees at the Montgomery Flight School were uh, were naturals for this. They were, uh, there was a fellow named Archibald Hoxley, who was a 26-year-old mechanic from Illinois. He, was, uh, imp- he impressed the Wright brothers so much that he was assigned a teaching job right after the school opened. Like he took, <laughs> It's like, okay, you, now you know how to fly a plane. I teach everybody. And he understood how it how to pilot and stuff like that. And he became the first aircraft pilot to pilot a, an aircraft at night. And uh, he—that's oh, interesting. He, I hadn't come across that one before. 
Yeah, he, uh, uh, Ralph Johnston, who was uh, another guy that was, that was hired by the Wrights there, he was a 30-year-old former vaudeville trick bicycle rider. Um, he had a knack for aerobatic maneuvers. He, fig- he was like one of the first aerobatic pilots that could sure. do you know, turns and twists. And so they had 10 Wright employees uh, and who became like celebrities. They were the magnificent men in their flying machines kind of a thing. They toured the country with the new Wright Flyers. Um, thousands of spectators would jam, you know, like state fairgrounds and horse race tracks to watch the aviators take off and soar and swoop and dive and all the other things that we, you know, what, that people are doing right now in Oshkosh as we speak. Um, <laughs> Absolutely. So the pilots would uh, crisscross the country and, and, and do all these things. On November 17th, 1910 in Denver at the Overland Park Golf Course, uh, Johnston Hoxley and a bunch of the other right flyer, a, a pilot named Brookings put on another air show for hundreds of spectators. Um, they did a couple of laps, low-level passes. Uh, Johnson was at an altitude of 200 feet when he began a spiral dive, which used to, like, he used to just do this out of control. <laughs> He's coming in for, you know, it's, things look really bad. He, he started a spiral dive with the plane tilted perpendicular, he'd swoop into a circle smaller than the length of his own aircraft. And uh, unfortunately, he finished the second complete spin of his plane and one of the wing spars broke. So uh, he plummeted straight to the ground but he became the first employee uh, to die he um uh, he he died and uh, the fellow hoxley the, the fellow we talked about who was the nighttime flyer he had a record altitude of 11,474 feet in 1910 oh so uh Isn't quite a quite an early time but that's you know all and out west that that's what happened at these early air, air shows one of the other things that came up we talked a little bit about that uh you know or as we're talking about that air meet uh there i had dug just a little bit deeper and and saw that uh it was in uh, late october of 1911 so it's obviously a good time for uh you know for air shows still is a good time for air shows in that part of the country (laughs) there's uh surviving i've never seen one of these in person but there's a great little uh little souvenir button from that air meet you know october 26 through 28 1911 and the logo is uh, you guessed it a big orange Ah. With a biplane stenciled on it, it says Redlands Aviation Meet across the top. So that would be a fun little artifact to hunt down. Yeah, with, with every event, there's always a great collectible. So. Yes, exactly. Ah, uh, wow. Absolutely. Well, we're kind of ending this minute with the uh, the denouement for uh, for our villain. As he, yes. As he's bu- busily uh, twirling his mustache gently, he notices... Right. There's a clump of uh, secret, what looks like a melted cracker. <laughs> and right. well, what's so, I mean, Dalton, you know, he just, just nails it every time. Isn't he, he beautiful in this? It, ah. And when he's sitting there, he's he's agitated. You know, the, the word that I wrote down was discomfited. I, I just, he just personifies this. I'm a little irritated. And in the, over the next few episodes, we talk about how he's sort of starting to lose control a bit at this point. And that's not a uh, not a familiar sensation for this for this guy, but he's he's edgy, he's struggling with it a little bit, and, and he's he's also you know he's dealing with his, his, the people that he considers his underlings. Eddie is he's the fixer that's supposed to get his job done, right. but he's he's almost as as mad with him as like a tailor. He's just you know you you, you got the cuffs wrong or something. Yes, ex- exactly. This doesn't fit. You know, take it away and come back when you've got it right. Yeah. It is almost surprising that he didn't snap his fingers and have somebody else come over and retrieve the note from the soup. Yeah, you know, that's amazing that he he literally gets his hands dirty, uh, which at this point of the film we don't expect from him. He's so is this that picture of elegance? Quickly, apropos of almost nothing, uh, when uh, jumping back to Redlands, but also thinking about Dalton. Um, when I hear the word Redlands, even though I'm a, oh. technically a native Californian, I immediately think of uh, the uh, the James Bond books, Ian Fleming's books, uh, where Redlands was uh, a code 
that you might put in a in a telex or a wire about uh, that was code for Soviet agents. Not exactly, you yeah. know, unbreakable. <laughs> it's pretty obvious. <laughs> no, it just, yeah. But uh, you know, let's talk about there was a Redlands agent, or you know, I'm I'm operating in Redlands right now, that sort of thing. So I was I was just poking around the web a little bit, seeing it was there. You know, trying to refresh my memory, was there an, you know an interesting quote or example? And when I stumbled across instead, uh, you know, again thinking about in this moment the word Redlands, and then we see Timothy Dalton, one of the James Bonds. But uh, what I found instead was a reference to a movie that was shot in a hangar at the Redlands Airport, or in hmm. part, called uh, Come Before Winter. I don't really know much about it. Um, it's a docudrama about uh, Dietrich Bonhoeffer, who was a, a pastor in, and very much an anti-Nazi activist during World War II. And uh, he was uh, he was executed. He was he was hanged in April of forty five, just days before before the German surrender. The point being is uh, in the scenes shot in the hangar at Redlands Airport, uh, there's an actor playing Ian Fleming. So somehow everything wow. all just spun around and came yeah. <laughs> came full circle in a very weird way. I know we always have Tom's theme on, but I keep thinking we should we should occasionally play "It's a Small World" because it's yes, where, we really it's should. Movie seems to go. <laughs> uh, um, it it it's incredible. But this is a this is a nice linking thing. I mean, we have we get a catchphrase out of this: the Rockahoo. Yes, and, the Rockahoo. Uh, and there's just so much tension to come. And this is like the very last second before you know the the jig truly is up. Right. It's uh, it's all about to come down, and things are about to get really horrible at the South Seas. But we'll we'll, we'll save that for for another day. Right. Uh, for folks who want to continue on this conversation and talk, if you're from San Bernardino County, would like to talk about your growing up in Redlands, we'd love to hear about this. Uh, but we're available on a bunch of different social media. Find us at Twitter at Rocketeer Minute. Find us on Facebook at Facebook.com/slash Rocketeer Minute. Go to the big site, rocketeerminute.com. Right down at the bottom of this episode page, you can type in your own comments. People can read them there and talk back to you. It, it's a great place to uh, catch up on the on the show if, you have, if you've missed any episodes so far. Uh, and, but, and this is also where you're going to be able to find future uh, episodes, unless you go to uh, iTunes or Google Play, sign up uh, by subscribing to our site. Just type in Rocketeer Minute and press the subscribe button when we show up on your search uh, results. Uh, we will be back here tomorrow with a very, very intriguing uh, movie guest, uh, a, fellow, uh, a, move, a fellow movie maven. Uh, and he'll, he'll be able to talk a little bit more about things going on here at the South Seas. But uh, we'll see you tomorrow. Uh, if you're in Oshkosh, thanks for, thanks for listening. Go uh, hunt down Hal. He's out there somewhere. <laughs> Come give me a hug. Yeah, he'd, he'd appreciate it because he's going to need it about this far in. Oh, my goodness, the poor guy. Uh, but I love uh, it. Have, have fun there in, uh, in Cheeseland <laughs> and here on the Rocketeer Minute. So we'll see you tomorrow. Until next time, over and out. Go get him, kid.